daily deep dive into everything Utah Jazz. It's time! All season long and even in the offseason, it's Jazz Daily with JJ and Alex on your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball. 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Basketball, give me, give me, give me the ball because I'm gonna dunk it. JJ and Alex, 97.5 VKSL Sports Zone. Who's the weirdest star in the whole Kelsey Taylor Swift situation? It's got to be Donna Kelsey, right? The weirdest star? <laughs> Donna, like the weirdest star of all this is Donna Kelsey, right? Because she kind of has become a star, though. She's on. She's a reluctant star. Right. Except for, is she? Because she's on a lot of stuff. The reluctant star is Mr. Kelsey, right? I just saw him on all the footage that the uh, J- Jason went to uh, Disney World with his family, right? And he went. The dad went. Yeah, but he's not in the chunky Campbell's commercials or any of that. So that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I know the Kelseys are all Amer- you know, they're they're Americana, but they all want a piece of that Campbell's chunky soup money, except for the dad. The dad's just like, I'm here for whatever. I get to say hi to Taylor on the way by. How you doing, sweetheart? You're almost daughter-in-law? My heavens. All right. Anyway, I'm just saying. There's Brittany Mahomes. She's, I guess she's. <laughs> no, she's. No, she's. That, maybe that's the answer. She's not question. my favorite. She's not my favorite star in all this. All right. Enough of the enough of the Brittany <laughs> Mahomes <laughs> slander. Stop Our, it. <laughs> I'm not slandering her. Uh, boy, you saw that his dad got a DWI or an alleged DWI this weekend, right? Patrick, yeah, it's unfortunate. Oof. All right. Let's kick off the program this hour. Our sponsor of the show is G2G Bars, all natural ingredients, no preservatives. The G2G Bar, sponsors of this program, but also sponsors of your activities. Okay? Go try them today. Holiday Oil, Maverick, Costco, uh, Associated Foods, and all across the Wasatch Front in the refrigerated section. Ben Anderson joining us on the program as we get things kicked off. That's how we start things off with the cut, so let's do it. It's time for the biggest story of the day. This is what made the cut with J.J. and Alex on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Ben Anderson joining us on the program. You, of course, can read his byline at kslsports.com. If you need to understand anything when it comes to the Utah Jazz, uh, he's your guy. And he's also, of course, uh, with Jake and Ben every day from 10 to noon on this very station. What's up, Ben? How you doing, man? Good. How are you guys? Oh, we're fantastic. Uh, We were saved last night. We were so we were so desperate for anything football related, and the, and yet the Jazz come through with an amazing game, a rare home game for the Jazz on a Sunday, and man, they came through and they've swept the Bucks officially this year. I did not have them beating the Bucks by a total of thirty eight points this season, but uh, here we are. This Jazz team is officially all over the map. Yeah, after losing six of eight and losing to a really down Philadelphia team that has been blown out a bunch recently, I did not see the Jazz beating. The Milwaukee Bucks, especially when trailing by 14 points a minute into the fourth quarter. But as you've said, and it's, it's I guess, the charm of, of Will Hardy and what's made this team interesting is they're pretty unexpected. It's hard, to, it's hard to get a finger exactly on what they're going to do night in and night out. Whereas, you know, I feel like we got to a point with the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Quinn Snyder rosters of just knowing, like, 
hey, well, they'll probably win this game because they don't lose a lot of games to teams they're worse than. And then if they're not as good as this team, they probably don't stand a chance. But, you know, this Will Hardy team just seems to, to find ways to win games that you wouldn't expect them to at all. Well, Ben, before we dig into this matchup and the trade deadline ahead, I just wanted to bring up that the atmosphere last night at the game was electric. And I think there was this thought or belief that if the Jazz played more Sunday regular season games, that fans wouldn't show up. But, man, that was not the case last night. That place was rocking. Yeah, and, you know, it might be different, I guess, if the Jazz played every Sunday night, which really no team in the NBA does. But I think a handful of NBA games, I think we have a large enough population uh, that is willing to support the Utah Jazz, that they will turn out and they will, you know, they will support this team. And if you have to play three, if you have to play five a year, or, you know, if we end up with an expansion NFL, or, excuse me, NHL team or uh, Major League Baseball team, which are going to have to play on Sundays, I think you'll see support. So, yeah, that what it was an issue when I was a young person in the state of Utah, I don't think is as much of a question mark as it once was. Ben, uh, looking at last night's box score and, and watching it kind of unfold the way that it did, the Jazz had success the way that they typically do when they, when they win games like that. Uh, seven guys in double figures. The minutes are spread around a ton. You have a you have a couple guys, including Jay Crowder, who are doing forty plus minutes for the uh, for the Bucks last night. But the Jazz they really spread those minutes out. Who was the most impressive though across the board there for the Jazz? Was it Colin Sexton? I I was even I'm watching John Collins on some of these makes and on some of these alley oops and things like that. And I'm like, gosh, I like that guy. Who was impressive to you last night? Uh, who kind of stood out in that win over the Bucks? Yeah, I think John Collins' numbers have been really good lately, and his plus-minus has not been awesome for a stretch there. When the Jazz were winning all those games, it was really high, and it's kind of gone back where most nights you look at it, and he has a negative plus-minus, and you're kind of wondering what's going on. But I think he is giving you consistency, which is a, which is a good thing for Collins. But, but you know, he was not the best player last night. It really was either Keontae George or Walker Kessler, which, you know, if you're a Jazz fan, you love the idea that your two first- or second-year players are outperforming Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard in the second half of a game that you could probably categorize as must win with how many losses the Jazz have had in their difficult upcoming schedule. So for those guys to step up and play as well as they did, I think was really promising. And maybe more so for Keontae George, just because it looked like at the end of January, he had hit the rookie wall. He had made six shots over five games, uh, just could not run up and down the floor, looked like his legs were totally gone. And then, though, the Jazz have lost, you know, had lost three straight going into last night's game. He kind of slowly got his rhythm back and was making shots. And some of it was just playing in the fourth quarter when the Jazz were down big. And you thought, well, those don't really matter all that much. But he, he kind of seemed to dial in a little bit. And, and he's hitting shots again. And, and he's always been pretty good in the fourth quarter. Uh, and I thought he was great last night. Uh, great thoughts on Keontae. Agree with you. It's, it's, it felt like there was a rookie wall there. feels like he's over it now, and I think this could be a big boost for him. Another player you mentioned, Walker Kessler, what a great effort last night. They don't win that game without his effort as well. And it's been a weird year for Walker Kessler coming off the uh, USA national team uh, stint and then getting hurt earlier in the year, and he never really seemed to find his groove, and he's coming off the bench. It's just been a different year for them, for him. Do you feel like he's starting to come around and how would you evaluate his season and, and maybe what's been holding him back and, and what he, what he can do to uh, become the player we thought he was going to be this year? Yeah, I do believe there was some sophomore slump, which I think is a real thing where you just start making other teams scouting reports and he had a long summer and he's played all this basketball and his role changes a little bit. And he's just trying to, you know, he has the elbow injury, all these things I think can add up. And 
you know, a, a little drop off on the NBA in the NBA can look like a lot. I, I think game to game, he's playing a little bit fewer minutes uh, at times than he was. And it's kind of interesting with Walker. I was looking at it last night. His games when he plays 27 minutes or more, the Jazz basically never win. And it's, he's done it like seven or eight times this year. I think the Jazz have two wins in the stretch. It's just not been the ideal situation for the Jazz when he's playing that many minutes. And I think also that can be hard for a guy who, you know, was a five-star recruit and played a bunch of North Carolina, played a bunch at Auburn, certainly, and then burst on the NBA scene and by game 40 was starting. So, I think trying to figure out how to impact games off the bench or in limited minutes when you don't have these long stints on the floor can be hard. Uh, but again, you you know he's got to grow, he's got to adapt to the NBA. Those minutes are always aren't always going to be there for him. So I think the fact that he is in his second season now, kind of continuing to grow, he looks like one of the premier front court players for the Jazz already. Uh, I think that's a really promising sign and a good sign for his evolution that he he is versatile, that he can adapt when he's put into a difficult situation. Let's talk a little bit more about second year guys. And uh, let's talk about Will Hardy and year one, we were all just kind of watching and seeing exactly what this really young coach was going to do. And I think everybody's been super impressed by his demeanor and he seems to have a, a, a distinct style and he lets guys play and he lets things kind of get figured out, but he also has obviously some goals for his team. But now you're a year and a half in what's the evaluation of Will Hardy Albeit if we don't know everything about him, what is it that, that I guess other people see Will Hardy doing from the outside looking in? We tend to like him because he's new, but at the same time, how do you evaluate uh, Will Hardy so far into his young career? No, I think he's very well respected by coaches around the league. I mean, they know where he comes from uh, under Greg Popovich and the year he spent in Boston. So he certainly has the respect and actually knows a lot of people just because he has been around and has coached Team USA. So he, he's worked with a lot of guys. Uh, and what I've been surprised is a the buy-in he gets from his players, and b his ability to change things and tinker things and you know move guys in and out of rotations and still get buy-in from the team. I mean, you know he moves Colin Sexton into the starting lineup in mid-December. Colin has the best maybe 25 game stretch of his career, considering you know the, the the games actually mattered. He was playing a lot of games in Cleveland that you know the outcomes didn't matter, but he was scoring a lot of points. But he's playing all these important games. The Jazz climb up the standings, and then they're in a game against Damian Lillard and the Milwaukee Bucks, and he benches him for the entire fourth quarter for a rookie. And who's the first guy out on the court celebrating with everybody? It's Colin Sexton. So there is buy-in into what I think Will Hardy is selling his roster, which I'm not sure a lot of coaches get at that level. Uh, and he's doing it in his second season. I think it's because he came in kind of established that that's how it was going to be and never really awarded minutes without players earning them. And that was a big thing for Will Hardy, and he stuck with it. And I think if you can get guys to understand that it's not a personal issue, it's a matchup issue, and you can actually kind of show that night in and night out, I think you will get some some buy-in, and it feels like he has it from his team. To be honest, the excitement of Sunday's win over the Bucks is overshadowed by the looming trade deadline on Thursday. Jazz play on Thursday at Phoenix. It could be possible that – they have a different roster on Thursday for that game. Just wanted to get your first, your overall thoughts on what the uh, trade deadline could mean for Utah and what sense do you get uh, going in here? We're just a couple days away. Yeah, I think both of those teams, the Jazz and the Suns, could see some overhauls. The Suns are certainly playing much better basketball now than they were at the beginning of the season, but they still have weird losses, like getting beat pretty soundly by the Atlanta Hawks, who have not been good this year. And, you know, that they had their cold stretch early and you know they it seems like they figured out and they take a step back and 
they've been rumored to be involved in the Miles Bridges trade. I, I would more believe the Suns are probably in that conversation than the Jazz are, though the Jazz continue to have their names floated in that situation. Uh, I, I do think Quentin Grimes makes a lot of sense for the Jazz uh, from the New York Knicks. Just based on what the Knicks need, they could use another veteran big guy like Kelly Olynyk in the front court because they have injuries to Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle. They did trade away a lot of scoring in the backcourt. And as much as I think you like Dante DiVincenzo and Quentin Grimes, who are somewhat similar players in their ability to kind of shoot off movement, having another player who can create their own shot is really valuable. And that's something the Jazz have three or four guys in the backcourt that can do and probably overlap a little bit in Utah, but might have a lot of value somewhere else. So Grimes is a player who at 23 years old, six foot five, you know, good shooter, but doesn't need the ball a lot and would be the best defender of the backcourt for the Jazz, I think would make a lot of sense. And would probably fit next to Keontae George uh, as the future backcourt of the Jazz if he can continue to develop. And he's just kind of fallen out of favor in New York. They've got an all-star guard in Jalen Brunson, and I mentioned DiVincenzo's breakout and move us to a uh, starting front court, or excuse me, starting backcourt player full-time. So that might be the type of guy I could see the Jazz targeting. And, you know, they could take back bad salaries from the Knicks if they wanted to, or, there's draft capital that could get swapped between the two teams. So I, I do think you're seeing a lot of smoke with the, with that rumor for a reason. What's a bad position for the Jazz, the Jazz to finish in this year? And I, obviously that has something to go into with the, with the, with the trade lit deadline. And, and I don't know if you're angling, if, if you're the front office for a, not a throwaway year or certainly not even a throwaway second half of the season, but what would be kind of a disastrous finish for them? Would they be giving up a lot if they ended in a certain position? I know that that 10 spot is a weird spot for them to go into. What are the implications with the OKC's pick this, this coming year? Because this is one of those seasons that among the next few that they don't have a ton of actual uh, picks in the draft. So what's kind of the best or worst spot for them to finish in, uh, in the Western conference standings for this season? Yeah, their draft pick that they owe the Oklahoma City Thunder as part of the Derek Favor salary dump is top 10 protected. So if the Jazz, I think we're going to finish like right there at number 10 and get the lowest possible pick, meaning, you know, the, the worst possible pick they mm-hmm. could get in this draft, which is not a very good draft. It's just amazing to see the names that pop up and sink down and pop up and sink down and not convey that pick and then be a little bit backed up because you can't trade, you know, back-to-back picks until they convey that that would be difficult to the jazz. It would just limit their ability to make some moves and may force them to, you know, trade a Minnesota pick or a Cleveland pick or their Lakers pick in the future that they may prefer to hold on to gambling that they're, you know, shorting somebody else to lose games versus having to say, Oh man, we would, you know, if we're having a bad season, look at the Memphis Grizzlies where injuries have just decimated your year there's a chance you could lose your draft pick just, you know, in a fluke situation that I don't think you want to do. So ideally, I just think you convey that draft pick, whether you make the playoffs or don't make the playoffs. I think you, you unload that draft pick this year, just because it makes the future easier. And again, I mean, you know, we're still not seeing Taylor Hendricks play real minutes with the jazz. Right. We're, we're still not seeing uh, Bryce sense play any real minutes with the jazz. So if next year is about their development into the rotation and you're playing, Second-year guys then, I don't think anyone actually cares if that was, you know, a rookie pick this year. They're both only going to be 20, 21 years old, and that's where you can use that development. I think that's totally fine, and I'm sure the Jazz would be comfortable doing that. Which player or players do you think are most likely to be moved by Thursday, or do the Jazz stay put? Uh, I I would say Kelly Olenek is probably the most likely, uh, just because of 
you know, the depth the Jazz have at that spot if they wanted to bring in Taylor Hendricks. And Taylor Hendricks is not ready to help you win games the same way that Kelly Olynyk is. But Kelly Olynyk's 32. He's got an expiring contract. He's got a lot of value around the NBA. So as much as, you know, he doesn't fit the Jazz timeline, he also probably is the piece they could get the most back for uh, with really making a pretty easy swap. You don't have to take back a bunch of big salaries. You could probably even take back another expiring or something that expires next year. Uh, and I could see that happening. And of course, I think Jordan Clarkson would be number two. I just think those are the those are the names you hear consistently. And I think there's a reason you hear those names consistently. And again, you know, Jordan was great yesterday in the fourth quarter. So if the Jazz hold on to him and decide they want to use him, and Kelly Olynyk was great, and the Jazz decide what they want to use him, I, I think they would feel comfortable going into the offseason with those guys, knowing that Jordan's uh, salary drops significantly off in the offseason and he comes back. And I think we'll still maintain a bunch of trade value or veteran leadership on the team. And if you wanted to sign Kelly Olynyk, you could do that again this offseason. So I, I don't feel like the Jazz have a gun to their head uh, that they have to make a trade by any means. But if they get the right offer that they feel like makes them better and puts them closer to a title in the next few years, they will do it. Uh, Jazz tomorrow against a pretty darn good Thunder team uh, who are coming to town. Then they go... Uh, I think, oh, and then they head to Phoenix and then uh, back at home again with the Warriors and then Lakers and Warriors again before the all-star break here. So you have a, you have a, you know, a handful of games here for the Jazz, but this Thunder team, are they the biggest shock in the West here? I mean, obviously, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a, 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 I would have never thought that that guy was, his name would be, you know, in the conversation for MVP. But at this point, I think if you were to end the season, he might be the odds on favorite to win it. Yeah, uh, I mean, they've certainly put themselves in that conversation, which is fascinating as quickly as they've done it with, you know, a young player in Chet Holmgren playing his first real season in the NBA, how impactful he's been and how good Jalen Williams has become, become. So I did not see that happening this quickly. I thought, you know, maybe they are a four seed, a five seed, but to jump up to the two seed, three seed, and, you know, they would host Denver potentially in a first round match or in a second round matchup. Uh, that would certainly be impressive. I wouldn't pick them to beat Denver, but the fact that they'd even have that opportunity is a, is a major growth. But honestly, it might, it might be the Clippers. I mean, I, I just yeah. kind of thought the Clippers, you're ready to put dirt on them. They just kind of never hit that peak. They'd have moments, and then inevitably they were injured, and that could absolutely still happen in the last 30 games of the year. If, if you get a major injury to Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, which seems to happen every season, you're going to be in trouble. But they have figured out how to make James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard all work on the same team. And then I think one of the things that we kind of underrated was they didn't give up hardly any depth when they traded for James Harden. Like they, they still have a lot of key guys that are complementary pieces where when you look at what the Nets gave up or what Philly has given up, so often when you when you acquire an all-star level player like Harden, you have to give up so many assets and players just to get it done that you're left decimated. And they didn't do that at all. So they've got good depth. They've got a really good front court. And then they have the star power where realistically they could win a title this year. And I guess if we look back, we said, well, yeah, they've got four future Hall of Famers. They've got Zubats, who's a very good center. And then they've got playable upper echelon depth. Uh, in the second unit that that will help them and they could even try and get something done at the deadline to to get even deeper so uh that they've probably been my biggest surprise just how functional it's been yeah i agree with you if the clippers stay healthy and that's a big if i think they're the biggest threat to the nuggets in the western 25 and 5 since december they're good i think december think about it they've got three of the best players of the last decade on that team so wild they certainly have that ability last one for you i've been is just all-star break the jazz will be represented although not on the all-star team 
You got uh, uh, Walker Kessler and Keontae George will be in the Rising Stars. And we learned today that Lowry Markkinen's in the three-point contest. Are you surprised by that? And how uh, how serious do you think he's going to be uh, to go there and try to win that thing? I had heard Markkinen's name kind of floated as an idea, and I wondered, you know, is he is he definitely going to go? Because if there's a you know, late reserve needed, he's already in Indiana, and that helps yeah. him. I mean, I don't think it's that devious, but but it's certainly a possibility, <laughs> and he knows he's on that short list of guys along with Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox and maybe Alper and Shingun who could get picked up to, to represent the West if there are injuries, which seems like every year there are. Uh, but, you know, good for him. He wants to be a part of stuff. I actually think that's beneficial. I, I think you have to be in that mindset a little bit and want to be a part of the NBA. And I think sometimes that's hard for a guy like Lowry Markkinen, who, yes, he was a lottery pick, but kind of fell out of the mainstream NBA picture. I, I, I like that he goes and hangs out with the All-Stars and wants to be a part of it and, you know, sits courtside and probably makes friends at All-Star Weekend. I think that's beneficial. Uh, and then, you know what, I think it's good that you're seeing uh, Keontae George and Walker Kessler both go in with some momentum. And Keontae George, I think, is going to try and put on a show. He He's familiar with all those guys. He was one of those top AAU players before going to Baylor. So uh, I think that's kind of his his stage that he could perform well on. So uh, good for him for being a part of it as well. Yeah, we were actually talking about this last week, and I don't think we were able to chat with you about it. But of all the guys that got shorted, I think that the that the Kings probably have an argument. Oh, uh yeah. <laughs> with De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis both being left off and the fact that they're kind of still plumb thick in the uh, playoff hunt there. But, but the problem is we couldn't come up with somebody to take right. off. Right. Who do you take off? Who was who definitely the biggest snub off of the All-Star team, and who would you actually replace him with? Yeah, I would probably say it's Sabonis. Uh, I think he's the best player on the Kings. If you wanted to say De'Aaron Fox, you could. I mean, he averages almost 30 points a game, maybe does average 30 points a game. I haven't checked recently, but yeah, I mean, that's crazy. They, they are firmly in the top six right now in the West. I think they've even jumped the Dallas Mavericks. The standings change every hour, it seems like. But, you know, the Pelicans are also in that conversation. And the problem for the Pelicans is they don't even have players with the high statistical profile that you've seen from De'Aaron Fox and from Demonis Sabonis. But if you told me, you know, they needed to be represented because they're one of the, you know, seemingly surefire playoff teams in the West, I would buy that. And if you wanted to put Brandon Ingram in there or you wanted to put Zion Williamson in there, uh, I, I would totally listen to it. So that is the problem for the Jazz and for Lowry Markkinen is that even if somebody does get hurt, uh, Lowry might be the fifth guy that they call up to replace uh, whoever that is. So I would probably say Sabonis is the biggest snob and would be the most likely to get that nod. And you know what? There's some interesting ties there with him uh, starting his career in Indiana, and they seem to like to do that. I think uh, Adam Silver would understand that. Ben Anderson, you can hear him on uh, Jake and Ben every day, of course, 10 to noon, and then uh, read his byline there at kslsports.com. Give him a follow on Twitter. They have the uh, Jazz Notes uh, newsletter. You need to absolutely get informed on every day with that thing. Uh, every time that the, a new a new one drops, you got to be able to make sure that you're the first person to get it so that you can get all that information. Ben Anderson. Ben, thanks for hanging out, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. There thanks, you go. Ben. There's Ben Anderson, everybody. Great stuff. Good as always. No, as always, for sure. Uh man. The Clippers, they are I they are they're just right I now. I know no one wants to hear that. And I think there we still have a little bit of like from that playoff series. Twenty five and five completely wrecked that that era of jazz basketball. Yes. But they're healthy and they're good. And yeah, I think yeah. the Nuggets better be ready. Twenty five and five since uh December second. Yeah. Wow, not bad, not bad. And the only teams that they've lost to it's like the it's like the Celtics one night, 
you know. You get that. Uh, not a bad, not bad losses. No, they no, 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 no. They're no. rolling. And they and they certainly. I mean, they won nine in a row. Then they lose one. Then they then they win seven in a row. Then they lose one. That's a good team. Been really good. All right. That's a real bummer for Jazz fans. Clippers, <laughs> gosh dang it. Does that does not get anybody's juice? I mean, sometimes flowing. we'll go, hey, oh, they'll show up in the playoff. And like we all right know there are a lot of Clippers fans out there, right? <laughs> Who is like the f- most famous season ticket holder? Who was it back Clipper then? Clipper Daryl. Oh, it was Billy Crystal. That's what it was. Clipper, uh, Clipper Daryl, right? Right. Frankie Muniz. <laughs> Clipper Daryl, and now you got Steve Ballmer going, we got so many toilets! Woo! And Russell Wilson's like, can I come? Oh, Russell Westbrook? Wilson. Wilson. With the toilets? You you haven't heard that, right? No, I haven't. What? There was, well, not last year, but the year before, (laughs) there was a uh, thing in Broncos Nation, people keeping track of the fact that Russell Wilson's house had more bathrooms than he had touchdown passes his first year with the Broncos. It took a while before he before he was able to uh, pass the number of bathrooms. Wow, in his house. And see, I but here's the thing with touchdown passes. I don't. I'm not going to diss him on that. You know why? Most of those are for Sierra. Sierra. Look, I'm not judging Sierra. the man. You can never have too many bathrooms, but you better be. If you're an NFL quarterback, you better be able to throw more touchdown passes than you have bathrooms in your giant oh, yeah. house. Oh yeah. Right. Boy, is that too much to ask? No, no, no. The Andy Reid doing the punt pass kick contest. Uh, that never gets old. It never gets old. How on earth was he a 12-year-old? Gosh. Both you and I have kids who are like, hey, can they hit a growth spurt? Andy Reid was 39 years old as a 12-year-old. Crazy. The most <laughs> mature 12-year-old in the history of planet Earth was Andy Reid. <laughs> I know. I've never seen it. And I've seen a lot of kids playing baseball games that you're like, he wouldn't on. do it, but he could have bought beer when he was that age. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. Uh, could have bought cigarettes. I had nope. a friend like that in high school. Yeah. Just like, I, I think, think everybody had that friend 13 that years old and was shaving three like, times a day. Looked like a man at age 12. Greek. Yeah, usually. <laughs> Mediterranean. <All right. laughs> Come on in, kid. Greek. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. We're going to uh, take a break. We'll come back. We've got tons still to go on the program, all right? We're going to jump in, and we're just going to keep going. By the way, on Thursday, we're going to roll out yet another of our Hercules Credit Union Hercules Heroes of the Week. We want to get your submissions. We'll keep them rolling. KSLsports.com slash contest. You might be asking yourself, JJ, you might be asking yourself, who could we nominate? Anybody. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's involved with youth sports in any way. Somebody who's done an amazing job in youth sports in your neighborhood, in your school, if they they work at the school, but they just do an above and beyond job. If they're a parent that just does a phenomenal job uh, coordinating everybody, I think everybody knows that team mom that will do way more than you've ever done for your kid's team Yes, in one weekend. So if there's somebody who's like that in your your neighborhood, you can nominate them today – and they'll win a $50 gift card if we choose them as the Hercules Credit Union Hercules Hero of the Week. KSLsports.com slash contest. And we'll uh, every Thursday, we'll roll, we'll roll out a winner. So nominate them today. KSLsports.com slash contest. It's a Hercules Hero of the Week. We'll come back. More to go around the corner. 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone.